Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. We want to give you thanks for, for Andy and, and the service and, and the many, many people who came to faith in you. Lord, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for Bob and a life well lived that so many people would come out to, to, to celebrate his life and to hear the gospel. And Lord, we look forward to Easter when we celebrate your resurrection. And Lord, thank you that people's spiritual windows are a little more open in the next month. May we have gospel conversations and, and may we invite and may Easter be a great time where many people come to know you. Lord, it's not just others who need you. We need you. That's why we're here. You are the bread of life and we've come to eat. And you offer living water and we're thirsty and so we come and drink. Satisfy our hunger, quench our thirst. As we open your word together today, may your spirit fall fresh and teach us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This weekend was a big weekend in the Sturgis family. We have six kids, and for the first time in 15 years, we had all of our six kids together this weekend. It has been a great weekend. That's okay, you can clap, it was good. And the reason we were all together was our son Luke got married yesterday. So uh, they got married, Emily, they got married on the beach, the only cool day in two weeks. <laughs> it was cold, it was windy, but it was Sunday and, and we had a great time and man, it's always interesting to do a wedding and remember my wedding vows and certainly more special doing it for one of our, one of our sons. And, but as I was doing the wedding, I remembered the, the greatest marriage advice I've ever received. It's not who you think, it's actually Danny DeVito. <laughs> the greatest marriage advice I ever got was from Danny DeVito. It's from the movie War of the Roses. In, in the movie, The War of the Roses, there's a couple, they're, they're about to get divorced, and they're always fighting, and Danny DeVito is the attorney for the husband, and he tells him, you know you're going to lose. That was such good advice. When Karen tells me to do something, and my first response is I'm going to argue about it, I hear Danny saying, you know you're going to lose. And so I've just learned to go ahead and just submit right there, okay? It just works so much better. And you say, well, can you give an example? I can. Remember when Hurricane Matthew came, remember? I'm sound asleep at midnight, an alarm goes off. And it says, you're in a mandatory evacuation zone. You know what that means to me? Nothing. <laughs> you know what it means to Karen? You've got to evacuate. So she wakes me up and says, we've got to go. And I said, why? And she says, it's a mandatory evacuation you know, alert. And I'm about to argue, but there's Danny. You know you're going to lose. And so I just said, uh, okay, yes, dear. And there we went. <laughs> that has been amazing in my marriage. And I know saying that with the ladies in the room, my popularity has gone way up. And among the men in the room, I am now public enemy number one. 
But what I've loved about that, in almost every situation in marriage, it just really works good to know, you know you're going to lose, so go ahead and say, yes, dear. Well, what if, what if I could give you some advice? Well, what if a friend of mine named Noah could give you advice that could help you in every decision that you make every day, that when you're about to make that decision, you could just hear Noah saying this to you. And here's what we're going to learn from my friend, my hero Noah. Here's what we're going to learn, that obeying God is always the best choice. That obeying God is always the best choice. No matter what situation you face every day, what if you just heard Noah? I mean, he's in the Faith Hall of Fame. What if you just heard him saying, listen, listen, obeying God is always the best choice. Wouldn't that simplify life's decisions a lot? That obeying God is always the best choice. And it is. And that's what we're going to learn today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. If you're new, we're so glad you're with us. We're actually walking through the book of Genesis together, learning how everything started. And when we started this, I recommended a book to you. I recommended to you the Genesis record uh, by Henry Morris. Many of you have bought it. It's a very expensive book, but it's a really good resource. If you don't have it, you might purchase it because we're going to be looking at the Noah for four weeks, and there's so much more I could share with you. The book says so much about the flood that I don't have the opportunity to share with you in 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes, right? It's really, really a helpful book. Many of you have purchased it and told me how much it meant to you, so I wanted to share it uh, again about the book. So last week, we spent the first week, we'll spend four weeks looking at Noah, and we learned that Noah walked with God by faith. And so this week, we've been very intentional about walking with Jesus by faith, right? And last week, we learned that God told Noah to build an ark, and so we'll read the last verse in chapter 6 before we jump into chapter 7. Thus Noah did... According to all that God had commanded him, so he did. You see, Noah obeyed God. And Noah tells us, listen, obeying God is always the best choice. Now we're ready for chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. It was about 120 years before he said, build the ark. Now he says, enter the ark. Notice you and your household. That's a reoccurring theme in Scripture, household, that God wants to save not simply individuals, but households. You remember, right? What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What? You and your Household, see the connection there? But what I really want you to see is he says, I have seen, you alone I've seen to be righteous before me in this time. What does it mean that Noah is righteous? Does that mean that everybody else is a sinner and, and he's without, you know, he's not a sinner? Is that it? It's so important we understand this because if we're going to get obedience right, then we really need to understand how justification happens, okay? And so religion says you have to supply your own righteousness. That if you want to be accepted by God, you have to supply your own. And the gospel says, no, no, God supplies the righteousness that he demands, that God gives us the righteousness that we need. And I submit to you, that's what's true of Noah. 
Remember last week? Remember last week we read in Genesis 6, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? Or the King James Version, Noah found grace? Listen, the reason Noah was different is when Noah heard the gospel, he believed the gospel, and he experienced grace. That means his sins were given to, to God, and he was forgiven, and, and God supplied the righteousness that, that Noah needed to be acceptable to God. And that's what we read throughout the Bible. In a few weeks, we're going to come to another hero of mine, another friend of mine. His name is Abraham. And God promised Abraham that one day a Savior would come. And so what do we read in Genesis 15, 6? Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That when Abraham believed in the promise of a Savior, then his sins were given to God, and he was forgiven, and God gave him the righteousness that God requires. We come to the New Testament, and, and what do we read? And in Romans chapter 1, what many people believe is the greatest theological book in the uh, in the Bible, we read, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Did you hear that? The righteous man shall live by faith. That's Martin Luther. That's how the Protestant Reformation begins. He's, he's climbing these stairs, and he keeps hearing, The righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Oh! Oh, God supplies the righteousness that we need by faith. He gives it to us. Oh, how about you? Have you received righteousness? Or are you trying to produce your own? And then last week we saw that, that Noah is in the Faith Hall of Fame. I mean, there's the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Basketball Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame, and there's a, there's a Faith Hall of Fame. It's not the Works Hall of Fame. And we saw last week, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his, there it is again, right of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Ah. Noah received righteousness by putting his faith in God. Have you? Oh. And then we see that very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, now, now that he, God made him Jesus, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I want you to know, to get into heaven, you have to be perfect, okay? And we have a problem. We're not perfect, right? Is that true, you guys there? We're not perfect, are we? And not only are we not perfect, but we also have sinned. And so there's nothing we can do about it. We're not perfect and we've sinned. Here's the good news. Jesus took care of our problem. That Jesus came to earth and, and He lived a perfect life for us. And then he climbed on the cross and died in our place, and then he rose, and he offers us the exchange of the ages. Jesus says, now listen, give me your sins, and you will be forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. And then ask me, and I will give you my righteousness. 
so that you will now qualify to heaven because you will be righteous. Is there any offer better than that? Have you ever accepted that offer? If you haven't, won't you say, Jesus, here is my sin. Forgive me. Thank you for dying for me, won't you? And then won't you say, give me your righteousness. Give me your righteousness so that I'll be accepted to God. Won't you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. And listen, he'll do it all for you, won't you? And if you have, this is important, we're going to talk about obedience, but to get obedience right, you have to understand this, okay? The moment you believed in Jesus, the moment you believe you were, are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, and Jesus gave you his righteousness, that means that your standing before God at any given moment isn't based on your performance, but his. It's not based on your obedience, but his, not based on your righteousness, but his. You were clothed in his righteousness. You were beautiful to God. Uh, for the more theologically minded, that means that your sin has been imputed to Christ and you're forgiven and his righteousness imputed to you. We love to say that at Good News, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not believing in Jesus plus trying your best. No, when we get Jesus, we get it all. We get forgiveness and we get righteousness. And when we understand that, then we can begin to explore what it means to walk in obedience to God. Because we understand that our standing before God is not based on our obedience. No, no. <laughs> what Noah tells us, he doesn't say obey God and, and then God will love you. He just says, listen, obeying God is always the best choice. So God says, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female, also the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Um, important things in the Bible are repeated a lot. I mean, the first, this year we've been walking through Genesis, we read over and over again what? Male and female. Male and female, male and female, God made us in his image, right? We're in his image, and he also made us male and female. Notice as well that there are clean and unclean animals. So of all the animals they were to bring in, two, a male and female, but the clean animals they were to bring sevens. And the reason for that is after the flood, then people began to eat animals, and so the clean animals would be the animals that people could eat. And so to have food, you would want them to reproduce more quickly. So they brought seven. And also the clean animals were used for sacrifice. So all the animals came in by two, and the clean animals came in by sevens. <clears throat> for after seven more days, I will send on the earth... I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Took 120 years to build the ark. Took seven days to fill the ark. The door would be open for seven more days while the tens of thousands of animals were brought onto the ark. What would you do if you knew there were seven days left before Jesus came back? There were seven days left to respond. And then the door to eternity would be shut forever for these people. 
Notice what it says about Noah. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah obeyed God. And that's why Noah tells us, listen, obeying God is always the best choice. Now, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, they entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Listen, they obeyed God. They walked by faith. They got on the ark to be saved from the flood that was coming of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. They went into the ark by, to Noah by twos. Notice how they came to Noah. Noah didn't have to go out and gather them. God drew them. And we've learned that in evangelism, that's Jesus' encouragement to us, that as we share the gospel, he draws his people to himself. Uh, they came in as God had commanded Noah. It came about <clears throat> after the seven days that the water of the floods came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, did you hear all of that? Now, I'm not sure if this was some kind of pre-flood calendar or, or whether this was the Hebrew calendar used in, in Jewish times. But one thing I do know, a great attention is given that it happened on this day. It's not like a fairy tale that goes what? Once upon a time in a land far away. No, no, this really happened when in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, it happened in history. On the same day, now I, I want you to see that the flood, there was three sources of water in the flood. Most of us think it, about it raining 40 days and 40 nights, but it did much more than that. Notice how it starts. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. There was underground water reservoirs, water underneath the earth. And in this cataclysmic event, the water burst up through the earth's surface up into the atmosphere. It was a catastrophic, a cataclysmic event. And when the water went up, then it impacted the water that was above the earth. The second source of water and the floodgates of the sky were open. We've been learning that the conditions on the earth before the flood were very different from after the flood and that around the earth there was a water canopy that surrounded the earth that protected people on the earth from many of the harmful rays of the sun. And that's why people live much longer before the flood than after. The world after the flood is very different from the world before it. And so as the water burst up, then the floodgates of the heavens opened up and that water came down too. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So get this, water came up from, the deep, from deep within, it came down, and it rained for 40 days. And this was a worldwide flood. I mean, we know some things about floods because of the hurricanes, right? But this flood was different from all other floods. Matter of fact, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when it, when it talks about the flood, um, see in verse 10 where it says the flood, there's an Old Testament word called Mabul, a Hebrew word, Mabul, and it's only used to describe this flood. It, local floods are, are used with a different name. And in the New Testament, the same thing is also true in the New Testament. Check out the word used for the flood in the New Testament, cataclysmos. 
Uh, what do you think we get from that, right? Uh, a cataclysm. Listen, this was a worldwide flood, unlike anything before it or after it. Um, on the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Uh, they and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. Did you hear that? You think maybe God knew that one day people would teach that people or that different animals change into different kinds? Do you think that? Do you think maybe it's put in the Bible over and over again, after its kind, after its kind, after its kind, so we would know that today? So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Um, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. And uh, who closed the door? The Lord closed it behind him. <laughs> kind of implies what? That before that, the door was what? The door was open. The door was open. And there was an invitation for people to enter. To enter. And then one day, God closed the door. And, and, and what did we learn last week? That door really points to Jesus, didn't it? We come to Jesus in John 10. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am the door. And, you know, Jesus is the door, and that door is wide open. No matter what someone's done wrong, they can enter in today and be saved. Right? The door is open. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Um, don't wait till it's too late to enter the door. Can you imagine? I mean, just take for a moment first you're on the ark, and you hear the door close. God closed the door, and you think, wow, God built this ark for us. God's closed the door. God's going to keep us safe. The old world is gone. When we come off, it's going to be a whole new world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. But can you imagine the terror on the outside when the doors were closed and the waters began to burst through and the people said, we were wrong, we were wrong forever. On the, the Lord closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. And so Noah says, obeying God is always the best choice. You know what? We built this ark just like God told us to. I had never built an ark before, but we built it just like God said. And you know what? It floats. It floats. It floats. It's stable. God knows what he's talking about. Wow. I mean, that's how you live a life of obedience, isn't it? You take a step, and God shows up, and you say, he knows what he's talking about. I think I want to take another step, right? The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. 
the water prevailed 15 cubits higher, about 22 feet, and the mountains were covered, all the mountains. This is a huge catastrophic flood. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind, of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky and they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. Often in my conversations with people, people say, well, you know, Smiley, the God I believe in would never punish anyone. Uh, I want you to know who the God of the Bible is. If you want to know who God is, look at the flood. Look at the flood, and in the flood, God declares that he is just, and sin will be punished. Did you see that in verse 23? Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals. But God also declares on the cross, or on the, in the in the ark that he's love. Notice only Noah was left. There was a way of escape for those who put their faith in him together with those who were in the ark. When we look at the flood, we see God is just and God is love. And there's one place we can see what God is like even more clearly than the flood. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus on the cross, naked between two thieves, declares that God is just and sin must be punished. And Jesus on the cross, bearing our sins, declares that God is love. Jesus says, I will take death so that you can have life. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. We're going to see that they were on the ark for, for over a year. And uh, I'm sure some of you say, come on, Smelly, you don't really believe there was a worldwide flood like the Bible teaches, do you? And I would say, sure, I do. And next week I'll give you some more reasons. But the main reason I believe that there was a worldwide flood is because Jesus did and Jesus was there. And Jesus compares his second coming to the, the flood. Now, uh, if you're new here, Jesus came the first time to seek and save the lost. And Jesus promised that he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming in judgment. There will be a judgment day. And then following the judgment day, there will be a new earth very similar to the flood. And so in Matthew chapter 24, notice Jesus says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. If you want to know what it will be like when Jesus comes back, he says, look at the days of Noah and you'll see, because it will be just like it. And Jesus is affirming that Noah and the flood really happened. For us in those days before the flood, there it is, cataclysmos, the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
Um, you need to enter, you need to enter. Silly old man, there's no such thing as a flood. Do you ever try and share the gospel with people and they just say, not interested, not interested? See, that was just like it was in the days of Noah. And they did not understand until the flood, the cataclysmo came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. <clears throat> so what was it like? <clears throat> people were sinful. God is just. He said a judgment day is coming. He gave people a way of escape. He gave them a certain amount of time. And then judgment fell. And so how will it be when Jesus comes back that we are all sinners and, God, and Jesus declares that one day there will be a judgment day. He's provided a way of escape that we could believe in Jesus and be saved. There's a, there's a period of time, but a time will come when Jesus comes back and it will be eternal life on a new earth for those that know him and it will be eternal punishment for those who don't. Listen, I believe in the flood because Jesus did. And he said that his second coming will be just like the days of Noah. So what have we learned so far? What we've learned so far from Noah is that obeying God is always the best choice. Every time we have a choice, obeying God is always the best choice. So I'd love for us to take what we've learned and I'd love to give you a, a way to apply it this week. What I'd love for you to do this week <clears throat> is to choose obedience as your first response and not as your last resort. That, that this week, let's be very intentional about choosing obedience as our first choice, not as our last resort, not after we've done our own thing and wrecked everything and say, now, Jesus, we're ready. Why not do that first? Uh, why not set that as our default this week? Uh, <clears throat> now, let me illustrate that, uh, what I mean. Last weekend, I was watching an XFL football game. Watch any of those? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of wives say a football in the fall isn't bad enough. It's in the spring, too. But I'm watching this game, and this team is on about the six-yard line, and they do uh, an end around. So the quarterback takes the ball, hands it off to a wide receiver coming around. He runs around. There is no one. There is no one between him and the goal line. No one. It's just six empty yards. But he stops, and he throws a pass, and he overthrows the wide receiver. And the announcer says, obviously, he's not a quarterback. Because quarterbacks are trained that the quarterback is always the first option. If you have the ball, and there's nowhere, no one between you and the goal line. That is the first option. Run the ball. Because if you throw the ball, you might throw it over his head like he did. You might throw it in front of him. He might drop it. There might be an interception. You are the first option. Do you know why athletes practice things over and over and over again? so that when they get in the game and the pressure is on, they've already determined what to do in that situation. And if we want to walk in obedience, we can't wait until we face the decision. We make the decision today. We choose as our default, that our default is that obedience to God is our first response and not our last resort. 
And then we get up each day and we renew that. That listen, this week, I'm going to choose obedience as my first response and not my last resort. And I can almost hear someone saying, well, well, Smiley, do I have to obey God? And, and listen, if you're a Christian, you don't have to obey God. But that's such a bad question. Here's the good news. I mean, you like good news, do you? Here's the good news. You can obey God. Isn't that what we want? The good news is you can obey God. Now, now listen carefully. Religion says, religion says you have to obey God to get, for God to love you. Who wants to face that pressure? That if you want God to love you, you've got to be good. But you know what the gospel says? You've got to be loved by God to obey God. It's when you know God's crazy about you, that's what enables you to obey Him. What does the Bible say? We love. Why? Because He first loved us. When we see Jesus on the cross, spread eagle for us, taking what we deserve, He captures our hearts, and when He captures our hearts, we give Him his, our hands and feet, don't we? Listen, Noah. Noah didn't build the ark so God would love him. He built the ark because he knew God loved him. And he knew God said a flood was coming. And he and his family, you know, surviving the flood was conditioned on building the ark. So he did it not to earn God's love, but because God loved him. And he knew that obedience, that obeying God is always the best choice. And listen, when it was time to get on the ark, Noah didn't get on the ark so God would love him. He got on the ark because he knew God loved him. And if God said to get on the ark, the best choice was what? It was to get on the ark, wasn't it? So listen, when, when Jesus says to honor your parents or to forgive someone who wronged you or to be generous or to share your faith or to tell the truth, Listen, the reason we want to obey God is not so that He'd love us. We do it because He does love us. And we know that obeying God is always the best choice. So let me ask you, is there an area in your life where Jesus has been calling you to obedience and you've said no? Is there? Is there an area in your life where Jesus has been calling you to do something and you've said no? Won't you change the default today? Won't you say, yes, Lord? Won't you? Won't you? <laughs> well, well, Smiley, what do you do when, when, when you're resisting God? You know what happens to me? That I resist God a lot, but I always hear the Holy Spirit kind of whispering in my ear, Smiley, how many areas of your life can you run better than Jesus? Would you make me a list? What's the answer to that? What? None. Uh, so, Smiley, how many areas of your life can you run, do, you know, run better than Jesus? Well, none. Then he says, well, why not obey him? Why not? Why not? He reminds me, listen, obeying God is always the best decision. Or sometimes when I'm resistant, I, I, I hear him say, um, Smiley, are you wiser than Jesus? Do you really think your plan is better than his? No. Then he says, well, why not obey him? 
Why not follow him? Why not say, yes, Lord? Or, or I hear, Smiley, why did you become a Christian in the first place? Was it because you were doing such a great job running your life? Smiley, what is a Christian? A Christian who said, I, I'm tired of running my own life. You run it. You lead. I'll follow. Well, Smiley, why don't you do that? And so I would say that to you. Why not say yes to Jesus? He's wiser than you. He can run every area of your life better than you can. Why not say yes? But know what I hear when I say that to people? Well, Smiley, I can't be perfect. Why do we start with I can't? And did I ever mention perfect? Did I? Listen, I, just growing up, I, I, I loved to play basketball, and I would always invite my friends, hey, let's go play basketball. And you know what none of them ever said? I can't, because I can't make every basket. Would anybody play basketball? Would they? If they thought to play basketball, you had to make every basket. But people play basketball even though they don't make every basket, don't they? And man, when they make one and the ball goes through the net and you hear that, it's, it's really good, isn't it? But sometimes you miss, right? But you still play. That's what it's like obeying Jesus. Listen, we don't always get it right. But why not set the default of our life to put the ball in the basket, right? Why not set the default to be choosing obedience? Wouldn't life go better? Let's go back to Noah. Listen, sometimes Noah put the ball in the net. Sometimes Noah obeyed God. God said, uh, God said, build the ark, and he did. And God said, uh, get on the ark, and he did. <laughs> but in a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks, we're going to read that when they got off the ark, you know what Noah did? Some of you know, right? He got drunk and naked. Because he didn't always put the ball in the basket, you know? Of course, you know, if I'd have been on the ark with my family for a whole year... Well, we'll just go on, okay? <laughs> Listen. Just because you're not always obedient, that's no reason that we wouldn't set the default in our life to choose obedience first, wouldn't it? Oh, just imagine what would happen if this week we were very intentional on setting the default of our heart to choose obedience as our first response and not our last resort. And, and when we fail, that's okay because we all fail. And besides, we're not obeying God so that God would love us. He loves us. We love because He first loved us. The reason we obey God is because we believe that obeying God is always the best choice, right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being obedient for us. Thank you for choosing obedience in every decision and living that perfect life for us so we wouldn't have to. And then, Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, dying in our place. Thank you. And, 
And thank you for rising to prove to us that you really had done this for us. And listen, if you're here today and you've never made that exchange, won't you make that exchange? Won't you just say, Jesus, here's my sin. Please forgive me and be my Savior. And won't you ask him, Jesus, give me your righteousness. I don't have any. Give me yours. And won't you surrender to him too, saying, Jesus, you take over. You can run my life better than me. Lord, I pray for us who've made that great exchange that we would just smile a little bit and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking my sin and thank you for giving me your righteousness. Thank you that my standing before God this moment and throughout this week is not based on my performance but yours. Thank you. And then, Lord, I pray, as we hear you calling us, follow me, that all of us here, if there's some area in our life that we've been saying no, may we say, yes, Jesus, yes, you lead, I follow, yes. And, Lord, I pray, sitting here today, that we would all make a decision that we would all choose that this week we're going to set our default on obeying you first and not as a last resort. And Lord, each day when we get up, may we renew that. And Lord, when we face decisions throughout each day, help us to remember <laughs> that obeying you is always the best choice. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.